0: Our final guest is the deputy editor at Business Insider, Dave Leventhal. Dave, good Sunday morning.
1: Hey, Joe, good to be with you.
0: Now, Dave, uh, the, the talk, at least at the beginning of the week, was uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, um, and her trip to Taiwan. Now, it, it did seem that the White House, at least in press briefings, was against this visit. Uh, what's been going on?
1: A lot. And it's been kind of cutting across uh, typical standard partisan considerations, at least in the form and the fashion that we typically think of them, especially in the context of 2022 and just the hyper-partisanship that is uh, constantly uh, roiling Washington and all across the country, of course, too. And the bottom line with this trip is that Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, decided to go to Taiwan at a moment of, uh, I wouldn't say extreme yet, but, uh, but definite tensions between the United States and China. China, of course, remember, considers Taiwan to be part of China. Taiwan operates independently. And there's this kind of bizarre international dance uh, where Taiwan is recognized as independent, uh, but is not fully considered independent. And, you know, whether it's trade or military considerations, uh, the United States and China are not besties right now. Okay, let, let's be real. So Nancy Pelosi going there was seen uh, in some quarters as swatting uh, a hornet's nest. Uh, and, and in other quarters, including from some Republicans, they, they kind of smiled upon this and, and said, well, yes, we need to stand with Taiwan against China. Yes, Nancy Pelosi should go there. And yes, the United States should be doing more to ensure that Taiwan is safe and uh, that it is not going to be menaced by China going forward.
0: So where do we stand now, Dave?
1: Well, we don't really materially stand in much of a different place than, uh, than we did even a couple of weeks ago. There, uh, that all said, there have been some definite uh, saber-rattling incidents. There has been an uptick in military presence uh, both by China and the United States uh, around uh, around that part of uh, the world. And uh, obviously, we have a diplomatic situation too, which uh, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of, uh, where China has definitely cut uh, certain types of ties, not necessarily huge ones between uh, the United States uh, and China, which could be restored quite easily. So, it, 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 uh, some things have happened. Thing. Dramatic to the point of uh, the United States and and China just simply cutting off all communications or or otherwise uh, spiraling into some sort of a situation akin to, say, what happened between the United States and Russia around the time when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. We are nowhere even remotely close to a type of situation such as that uh, where the United States and Russia have uh, very much uh, cut off uh, many types of communication. Sanctions have been levied, uh, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Dave, uh, do do we know why, of all places, Nancy Pelosi wanted to go to Taiwan, um, even with the pushback from members of her own party?
1: Nancy Pelosi has always been very hawkish when it comes to China. If you listen to things that she was saying 30-odd years ago, uh, when she was a, a then just a more of a junior member of the House, uh, it, it sounded uh, very much like Republicans would have been talking about China either then or now. So this is one of those issues where she feels like a independent and free Taiwan is essential to the United States, is essential to uh, security and democracy in Asia, especially that portion of Asia. And uh, as a result, has uh, kind of made this uh, a bit of a personal political crusade for herself that isn't anything new. Now, she is a Speaker of the House, has the ability as a leader of that part of the legislative branch to travel. She doesn't have to get Joe Biden's permission. The White House doesn't have to uh, to say that, yes, this is OK or not OK. She does have that ability, and that's effectively what uh, the Biden White House has been saying over the past week, that even though they are not exactly uh, turning cartwheels or anything over the fact that she went there, they did acknowledge that she has the ability to do so. It also should be noted, Joe, that Joe Biden has not made a similar type of trip during his presidency, and uh, this actually was the highest-ranking U.S. official to go to Taiwan uh, in uh, a diplomatic capacity uh in uh, international relations capacity in many 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 years
0: also over in the senate dave we had a 51 to 50 vote with uh, vice president harris having to cast the uh the tie breaking vote this is being called the schumer mansion bill
1: (laughs) you can call it lots of things and it has (laughs) joe been called so many different things over the past year plus that we have been talking about this. Uh, I recall very clearly conversations we had uh, around a year ago, more than a year ago, about what was the sort of grandfather, great-grandfather of this current piece of legislation that still, as we speak, up on Capitol Hill is uh, is going through what everyone is calling a votarama, which is uh, all of these amendments that get raised for this bill. But uh, the bill here used to be about a 35 trillion with a t proposal that has been whittled down time and time again over the past many months and is now going to be about a 700 billion dollar package with a b you know what's a couple of trillion dollars between friends or enemies uh, politically or otherwise right joe but uh, that's where we're at right now and it does appear that it uh, has all the votes to pass the senate with a few tweaks here and there uh, congress or the senate specifically is arguing for example Over a uh, a, a portion of it that deals with uh, insulin and Medicaid or Medicare, I should say. And uh, so so that's kind of the, you know, minutiae that we're getting into, although that is very important for people who are senior citizens who are diabetic and use insulin. So lots of still to uh, be debated and uh, and be done on the overall package, but it seems like we're about as close as we could possibly be to getting this passed and ultimately uh, signed into legislation. A big victory in the sense that Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, has been blocking this really all along. Kirsten Cinema, the senator from Arizona, has uh, been very reluctant to get on board and. Ultimately, Senate Democrats uh, were able to acquiesce to some, you know, kind of around the margin requests that she had for this. But it uh, is a long, long time coming, even though it is much less ambitious overall than what Joe Biden certainly wanted. And many Senate uh, and House Democratic leaders wanted when the beginning of the Biden administration was happening back in the beginning of 2021.
0: Dave, you know, that 50-50 split reminds us that there is a midterm election uh, right down the road. And, you know, for a while, it's been, you know, hey, it's it's a, a midterm with a Democrat in the House. or I'm sorry, a Democrat in the White House and Democrats controlling D.C. Uh, it should be a good 2022 for Republicans. Uh, but some polls out now look like maybe it won't be as good as first thought. Well, the
1: Democrats have had some victories here, and, uh, and and this is going to be a big one. They they have some things to run on going forward. Now, the big question here is that Joe Biden's approval ratings are still absolutely abysmal. They are in the toilet, unlike they have ever been before, and they've never been all that great. So what does that mean? Well, it means that a lot can happen here. It would certainly help Democrats if Joe Biden's approval ratings Started to pick up. It will be curious to see if they do as a result of some of the things that have been happening not only on Capitol Hill, but even in your pocketbook. Uh, you know, Republicans have been running on gas prices uh, for many months. Well, gas prices are taking a nosedive. Uh, there's been about uh, five consecutive weeks of declines in those prices. So that, that kind of takes uh, one tool out of the Republicans' toolbox on a, on a pocketbook issue, kind of consumer centric, consumer focused. Type of issue. The Democrats are, are, have won a couple of pieces of legislation, including this big one just very recently. And now they're all going to scatter to the four winds and go back to their districts uh, for the rest of August and, and really begin the campaign in earnest, or I should say, the push to the uh, final general election uh, in earnest in just a matter of days. So, yeah, Republicans, I think you could say, were probably feeling a little bit better about a month ago and uh, perhaps a little more concerned today than they were then. But we still have a lot of election to go. We have a lot to run for and run on uh, for all the different candidates. And uh, it is going to be potentially a very close one here. The Republicans uh, see this as the greatest opportunity that Uh, they they could perhaps ever have uh, in the past couple of years to to get full control of both the House and the Senate back. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's going to be some headwinds though to them actually achieving that.
0: You know, looking at two of the races um, in the Senate, you have Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz running and in Georgia, Herschel Walker running two very popular people. uh, But the polling hasn't been too favorable in the last few weeks.
1: Yeah. And in both very different situations, uh, you know, Dr. Oz, he's been uh, sort of dogged by the the idea that uh, he's not really running for Pennsylvania. He's running for himself, in the opinion of uh, certainly a lot of Democrats uh, who are constantly um, kind of chiding him for being from New Jersey and uh, and still living there, uh, at least part time. And he hasn't run a very aggressive campaign lately. He uh, he's showing up here and there and he's he's running. Senate, but maybe not running as aggressively as a lot of Republicans would like to. Now, his opponent, John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, a Democrat, he had a stroke back a couple of months ago and uh, has been off the campaign trail himself while he recovers. Uh, He is poised to return to the campaign trail and begin campaigning again full time. But that is uh, potentially one of the tightest races in the whole country on the Senate side, and also to uh, one of the the stranger ones, just uh, given the the different elements that uh, have uh, emerged over the course of the past few months since uh, they both became the nominees for their respective parties. In Georgia, meanwhile, Herschel Walker, another incredibly tight race, another incredibly expensive race with tens of millions of dollars pouring into both the Georgia. And the Pennsylvania race, Herschel Walker has had uh, just a, a number of flubs on the campaign trail, where it seems like he's just fundamentally misunderstood how things work, both in politics when it comes to energy and the environment, uh, and has not performed uh, as a as a candidate as well as many Republicans would like him to, even though he enjoys uh, basically universal support, including from Donald Trump, most notably. Donald Trump is a huge supporter of Herschel Walker, which goes very, very far for many Republicans in that state. He's running against Raphael Warnock, who is uh, the current Democratic senator in Georgia. Georgia is an incredibly purple state. So this is expect this one to be a very, very tight race potentially as well.
0: You got all these, uh, all these elections heading to November, and Dave, here in uh, New York State, we have one district that hasn't even had their uh, primary yet uh, because of the challenges here in New York State, and that's between uh, Carl Paldino and Nick Langworthy. We talked a lot about that in the first hour. Is that getting any attention nationally down there in D.C.?
1: It's not getting as much attention as uh, some of the other races uh, around the country, I think in part because... So many states around the country have already had their primaries, and they're now in general election phase. Uh, New York is one of a handful of states that's going really late in the process. Uh, its uh, I think we only have – I don't know the exact number, Joe, but, but just a handful of states uh, that either still have races to go here in August or even a couple – such as New Hampshire that go in September, so they will get their moment. They will they will have their their profile probably a little closer to when the uh, the actual primary is taking place, and that will definitely be the headlines of that particular day for those states, including New York. But at this point, uh, there have been so many other things going on, and we just mentioned a few that have really sucked up much of the political oxygen uh, in the proverbial room, whether that room is Washington, D.C. or the entire country, for that matter.
0: Now, Dave, this is uh, from you over at Business Insider. Uh, Speaking of one of those uh, highly contested uh, congressional seats in Ohio, Jay-Z – how do you pronounce his last name, Dave? Majewski. Majewski uh, did not disclose his personal finances. Uh, What could this mean for his race?
1: Well, we we found that uh, any way you cut it, he's breaking a law. It's called uh, the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act of 2012. There's another federal law that applies as well here. And and basically, if you are a congressional candidate or you're a member of Congress, you, by federal law, have to reveal – in a signed certified document, your personal finances to some degree at sort of a uh, scheduled time uh, every year. And he's just failed to do so for more than a year. We asked his campaign about it, numerous emails, numerous phone calls, numerous voicemails, and they just refused to provide an answer to us as to why he has not filed this this document uh, at a time when he's running in uh, perhaps one of the closest house races uh, in the entire country Marcy Kaptur, who's the 20-term incumbent Democrat who's running in that race against him, this is a toss-up, just 50-50 as you get. But uh, it really underscores a a broader point here, Joe, which is that uh, we at Insider have found dozens upon dozens of examples involving Republicans, involving Democrats, including dozens of members who are currently serving in Congress right now who – Uh, for one reason or another, are improperly disclosing their personal finances. Why should anyone care about this? Well, the reason that this law is put in place in the first place and was put in place by Congress about a decade ago is to defend against conflicts of interest, to push back against insider trading that absolutely was taking place among members of Congress uh, in in the not-too-recent past, and also, to to a lesser but still very important degree, to provide the public transparency so they can see if any of these conflicts of interest concern them in an electoral context when they go to vote or when they're you know seeing how members of Congress, including their member of Congress, are voting on issues to see if their votes are conflicting at all with uh, the personal assets that they may have through stock holdings. Or otherwise. So, what could happen here? Well, the Department of Justice could investigate. He could face a fine or even worse, but it is very rare that uh, federal authorities spend the uh, time and make the effort to go after. But it will be curious to see what happens uh, in this case. And I should also note that uh, as of uh, the time we're speaking right now, he still has not filed his required documents as required by law. Dave,
0: the Stock Act 67. uh, members of Congress have violated the law uh, that from Business Insider uh, but we heard that a local representative Chris Jacobs uh, avoid penalties how did this happen
1: he did uh, so one of the ways that uh, members of Congress uh, can be held accountable for violating this particular law is uh, to be uh, investigated by their peers there is a group a committee we're, we're talking so much about the January 6th committee lately. Well, this, this is another kind of committee, a standing committee called the uh, Committee on House Ethics. And that committee is supposed to investigate any type of ethical breaches or even legal breaches by uh, one's own members of Congress. And uh, Chris Jacobs and they, uh, several other uh, House members, even though they had violated this act, they basically were left off the hook, and it boiled down to the Committee on House Ethics saying, "Well, they they did not knowfully or, or knowingly and willfully violate this law. There was no evidence that they did so. Therefore, we are not going to penalize them, and the matter is effectively dismissed." Now, the Ethics Committee could have done several other things. They could have reprimanded the members. They could have censured the members. Uh, They could have fined the members, but they chose not to do so. And uh, these are just uh, kind of the first handful of the many, many dozens that we have found on the House side and uh, a a number on the Senate side, too. The Senate has its own ethics committee that deals in things uh, in its own time and its own way, I should note as well.
0: Dave, always uh, always full of information, always uh, run out of time before we run out of stuff, uh, but I appreciate you uh, joining me this Sunday, and we look forward to uh, hearing you with Brian and Susan on Tuesday.
1: Absolutely, and on a personal note, looking forward to being back in Buffalo in a few days myself.
0: So hey, all there. welcome back, Dave. Looking forward to that. Hey, have a good one. You too. Thanks.